Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, if you don't have one or not on your phone, we will have it on the screen as always to help you along the way. Uh, Just so you know where we're headed as far as a series, uh, for the next 12 weeks, starting next week, we will be in the book of 1 Thessalonians entitled Upside Down. Uh, Because in Acts 17.6, it said, these men from Thessalonica have turned the world upside down for Christ. And so uh, for the next 12 weeks, looking at the perspective of the return of Christ, uh, we'll be in the book of 1 Thessalonians. But for today, just a standalone on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, which I've entitled, Why Am I Here? Why am I here? Uh, Maybe you have asked yourself the question, why am I here? Maybe realistically, you've asked yourself that question when it comes to life. You are searching for purpose and for meaning and significance, and you will say, man, God, why am I here? What do you have for me to do? What do you want me to do? Maybe for some of you, when you come to church, you'll be sitting through this sermon saying, why am I here? What significance does this have on my life? And why is this, what is this going to do in my life? You'll sit there and we sing songs and you'll say, why are we singing that song? You'll see baptisms, why are they getting dunked in water? You'll see us taking communion and you'll be sitting from afar and you'll say, why are they doing that? You will ask yourself the question, why? Well, when you don't understand why we're doing what we're doing or what we're doing and why we're doing it, if that makes sense, you will start to maybe feel really confused and you won't understand what in the world is going on. Raise your hand, raise your hand and don't lie. You're at church, just don't lie. If you have ever sat through a sermon and you wondered what in the world the pastor was talking about, just throw it up. Okay, hopefully that's not today. Uh, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 is a passage that really, um, as we had planned to do a standalone, Bruce and I, we talked about Ephesians chapter 2, and really it is the essence of why we do what we do. It hopefully today, if you are new to church, or maybe you've never been to church, or maybe you started New Year's resolution, so you came today. Regardless, hopefully, you will be able to say, oh, that makes sense. That's why they're crazy. That's why they do this. That's why they're, they're yelling. That's why, this, that's why this is going on in their life. Because when you don't understand the context, it will leave you guessing, confused, and maybe thinking we're a little weird. Uh, it was our first fall retreat my wife and I went on. And I was the middle school pastor at the time. We had headed off to Stony Glen. And when we got to Stony Glen, there was always a night, and there still is, where we do a talent show. Yeah, it's great. Middle schoolers doing talent, stuff like that, singing and up there, dancing and everything else. So I thought, you know what? My buddy was there with me. I have many talents. Not really, but I have one. And one of it is singing the song, My Girl from Temptations. And you know, as I get up there, I mean, I'm performing, I'm shouting, I'm, I thought about doing it today, I'm not going to. But anyway, I sang the song, and in the middle of the song, because I just got caught up in the moment, uh, I went over and I kissed my wife. And it was a longer kiss, and you know, all the middle school kids like, ew. Well, there was another church that was present during the time. And I didn't know this until after the fact. They had told my wife, and they told me, and one of the girls was walking out, and they said, who did he kiss? And a girl from the other church was, I heard that he kisses a new girl every year. And I said, I go to jail for that kind of stuff. Did they straighten that out? They're like, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of settled. So they thought I just picked a random girl to kiss. It left them guessing, misunderstood. And I mean, we, I, they probably still to this day think I'm a weirdo, rightfully so. 
a lot of times when you don't understand, you're left guessing. Yesterday, we were sitting there doing the funeral for Julie Fallick. I'm in the front row, and over to my right is the family. Tons of people show up. People are in the lobby, and we are singing the song with Jay and the band, Great Are You, Lord. Great are you, Lord, with the family's hands held high. Great are you, Lord. And just because my mind goes this way, I start to think of all the people who are there who maybe have never been to church. They've never seen something like this, and they're probably sitting there, and I'm asking myself the question, what are they thinking? What are they thinking about us? They think we are what? Crazy. And they would be right. We are. Only, only in Christianity would we worship a God because he is all that we have to go to. Believing that he is working something out and we would sit alongside. And as I sat there yesterday and I thought in my head, along with the apostle Peter, when Jesus would say hard things, he would say things that were hard to understand, maybe hard to comprehend, people would start to walk away. It just didn't fit their bill. It wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't the context in which they wanted to hear it. And Jesus would look at people as they were walking away. He looked to the disciples in John 6. He says, would you like to go with them? Would you like to go and do what they're, would you like to leave me? And what does Peter say? Just along with you and I, a lot of times when we are in life, we are confused. We feel misunderstood. We don't understand. Along with Peter, we say, Lord, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. We have nowhere else to go. It says in the Bible that God has set eternity in our heart, that there is something inside of us longing for something maybe more than us. And for a lot of you today, hopefully, hopefully, if you've never been to church or maybe you come and you always feel confused, hopefully you'll sit there and say, oh, that's what they believe. Oh, that's what happened to my mom. Oh, that's what happened to him when he had changed and started doing this. And for some of you, I think today you'll say, oh, that's what happened to me. That's what took place. That's what had changed in my heart. One of the best things for me when I'll see someone make the decision to accept Christ into their life and you try and ask them, you, you tell them or ask them to explain it. What a fun thing to see. I don't know, Jesus, what did he do? Uh, he died. What else? He changed me, I don't know. What about the Bible? I don't know. But my life has changed, right? And then we, bam, we dunk them, right? You see these stories of people where you would just say, I don't really know. Well, hopefully today there is clarity. But as we jump into Ephesians 2, before we, before we do that, I would like to pull up 2 Corinthians 11.3. The Apostle Paul never, ever says he is afraid. Ever. The dude's bold as they come. This is what he says. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What is he scared of? He is scared that your mind or my mind or this church, that their mind would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. One of the things that will happen uh, as I walk through a few of these verses, some of you will say, man, you know how many sermons I heard on Ephesians 2? I quote it. You want an NIV, KJV, ESV, NASB? Those are translations. What do you want it in? Because you have heard a sermon or a message on Ephesians 2, which hopefully so. 
Hopefully, you have a context in which to hear it. And here's what will happen. It will feel like just old news. Just white noise. Kind of like the talk show radio you listen to on the way to work. It's just running in the background, but it really, it, it doesn't do anything for us or to us. The Apostle Paul says that we would never, that our minds and hearts would always be pure and sincere to Christ. That when we hear about Jesus and what he does in the lives of others, it would change us to some degree. That the gospel, the very thing that is why we meet, why we do what we do, what we do, it would still impact us in some way. Because as one man said, that the gospel itself should be simple enough for you to play in in a kiddie pool. That you would just get wet. That you don't really understand what's going on when kids go in kiddie pools. It's a nightmare. Right? They're just in it. They don't know why they're doing it. They're throwing stuff everywhere, but they're wet. But that the gospel itself also would be deep enough for you to swim. That it would never be something that, if we can use the term, graduate from. That it is not something that I would say, well, I mean, I, I, I heard it when I was 10, and so now I'm, I'm good. I don't really need it anymore. The gospel is something that saves us. It sustains us. It is what we come back to. And as the people yesterday, when they're watching at the funeral with the family's hands lifted high, singing, great are you, Lord, they would have to look at it and say, that's, that's God. And because of what Christ has done, we are able to do that. So in Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to look at the first three verses. And my point for this is when it comes to my life, I am the problem. It says this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. A few things. He is, he, what he is saying is he is referring to what has happened. He is saying you were dead, that you were caught in your trespasses, that this is something that has already happened to them. He is talking to people who have already made a, de a decision for Christ. And look there at the bottom where it says, whom we all once lived. Here's what I love about the Apostle Paul. He will always point, not always, he will sometimes point back to a reality which was true about us because we will often become judgmental towards. So what we will say is that the world is like this, we hate the world, that can't believe they would do this, they need Christ, but in and of ourselves, we will forget where we have come from. We will forget that we were dead. We will forget that we followed our mind and our heart, that you and I, that when it comes to my life, I am the primary problem. And even for a lot of you, when you think about your life, it is easier, always easier, to look towards someone else or something else to blame the problem. Well, it was, I didn't start it. I didn't do this. She said it first. He did this. It was the boss. It was the manager. It was someone else. And we are unable to see that we are the problem. And what does it mean by trespasses and sins? That you and I, it is saying that we trespass God's law or God's commands and the standard he has set. Um, I was, I think, 14 years old. Uh, Eric LePage and I, a lot of you would know the LePages, him and I were BFF, we were tight. 
And usually when I would go to his house, we'd kind of just walk around, we'd do stuff, kind of, uh, I'm not going to tell you what we did, but it was stuff we probably shouldn't be doing at the time. Uh, but anyway, we would cross over his bank and we'd head to his uh, cousin's house. But meanwhile, we would take a detour. And this one particular time, uh, we took this detour and you know how like you're doing something, you don't really realize what you're doing until you're in the middle of it. And we started to hear dogs. You know, uh, things were coming over this hill. And Eric was just a speed demon. I mean, this dude was fast. And I knew, I knew, if I can't outrun him, I'm in trouble. So him and I are just sprinting it out. And he's, he's ahead of me. I'm not going to lie this morning. He definitely smoked me. But we're running, and it felt like a movie. These dogs are, like, biting on our ankles. And luckily, we're, like, throwing stuff at them. I think we had, like, Gatorades or whatever. We got away, crossed over the bank. And when we had went back the next day, because it was dark, we looked during the daylight, and it had signed. What did it say? No trespassing. No trespassing. Now, regardless, regardless of if we felt like we were trespassing, did we trespass? This is not a quiz. This is, uh, this is elementary stuff. If we felt like we were not trespassing, but we trespassed, did we trespass? Yeah, thank you. Got some Bible nerds in here. Uh, and then uh, even a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I was coming home uh, from the Falix house. I had started to drive faster than I should, okay? It's kind of a normal occurrence for me, you know, confession time, Butch is here, I'll tell him I drive a little bit faster, he drives faster than me. Anyway, um, I'm coming back to the church and I get, I, I get pulled over, right? And the cop comes up, you know, and, he, and I'm like, you yeah, know, I don't understand this, what was happening. And I, I didn't, you know, kind of pull the, you know, people always say, well, did you tell him you're a pastor? No, that's weird, I don't do that. So anyway, I was going 15 over. What if I said to him, I just didn't feel like I was speeding. It didn't feel fast to me. I didn't see the sign, I didn't, which was true. True story, I did not see the sign. And what if I said to him, hey, I just didn't feel like it. What if he was like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know, you. my, my bad pastor, like go ahead, like get out of here. No, I was trespassing in this case and I was speeding in that case, whether I felt like it or not. And you pull up Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 again for me. When it talks about us being the problem, we follow the desires of the body and the mind and are by nature children of wrath. Which means this. You and I, whether we would believe it or not, um, when we want to compare our lives to other people, we will uphold the fact that we believe we are moral. Okay? So you would believe you are better than someone you know. Right? And a lot of times we'll use this phrase, moral compass. Well, at least, at least you have a good moral compass. At least you're not that bad. Because in our minds, we will say, well, there's bad people, decent people, kind of rude and mean. There's church people, and then there's good people, right? We'll have it from our perspective. But when it comes to the Bible and what God will not allow, that you and I are born into sin, that we are dead, that we are, in and of ourselves, bad people. Welcome. You guys are like, man, January 3rd, really? It's early. What about the good year, the new year? You and I, this is the good part, right? That you and I are bad people that even on our best day, on our best day, we fail. It says in James chapter 2, verse 10, that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Because naturally, I'll say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, he, I, I, he cusses a ton. Like, he's all the time. I only cuss in my head. 
You know, we'll say, well, at least I didn't look at this, or at least they did this, or I heard she did this, and at least we're, we're good people. We will say that we are good in our own standards, but if we are guilty of any of God's law or commands, we are guilty of all of it, that we are dead, and majority morality that we are good people and we, we, you know, we can muster it up, we look within, we can do better, be better, in and of ourselves is impossible and truly is an affront to God. That even, the Bible would say even your good things or the great things you do to God are like filthy rags. He looks at it because he looks at the heart. He would say even your external things are bad. Your motives are wrong because he looks at the heart that man sees outward, but God sees inward. So when it comes to my life, I am the problem. A couple uh, years ago, I had sat down with a counselor. And when I had sat down with him, yeah, you guys are like judging me right now. I can feel the heat. Like, oh. uh, So I, I sat down with a man just struggling to work through something. And he would press always, always. This is what he would say. He was a Christian guy, loved the Lord, loved, the, loved God's word. He would say, Mike, you have to constantly fight to see yourself as God sees you. Constantly. Even when you don't feel like you should and how other people see yourself. Because you will always view yourself as better, have it together, and project the best version of you. Always. And God sees everything. I am the problem. The good news is that when it comes to my life, Jesus did something when I did nothing. Jesus did something when I did nothing. Verse four, but God. I had a professor in college. He would show up to class randomly. We never knew when he brought this thing. It was this big wooden thing, uh, and it just was these letters, and all it would say is, but God. It was a great visual. We'd be starting a class, have nothing to do with what we were talking about, maybe relevance. He would say, don't ever forget this, but God. Because when you look at stories or testimonies, you have to look at your own life and say, yeah, I was in this, I was doing this, but God. That I never work past the but God phase in my life. Paul is telling them this as you were, as you were, as you were, because he doesn't want them to forget. You and I constantly forget. We are prone to forget. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is why. So that in the coming ages, that's you and I and that's today he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That Jesus does something when I did nothing. That you and I, when we look at our own life, I have to look back, whether it was nine years ago for me, whether for you it was 20 years ago, whether it was 30 years ago, whether you don't like to go back that far, uh, whether for some of you it was last week, last month, last year, you have to look in the mirror and say, but God, when I was dead, when I was not following after God, he sends his son and he shows his great love that God truly, truly loves you 
beyond your imagination, beyond what you can fathom, that when you rebel against God, when you hate God, when you don't want to follow God, he sends his son for you. And what I contribute to my salvation, what I bring to the table is sin that needed to be paid for. That's what I got. When I show up to Christ and I offer to give him my life, the only thing I bring on the table is my sin and my um, wrongness and my trespasses. I lay them at the table and I say, God, that's, that's all I got. That's the only thing I have to offer to you. I don't have any good works. I don't have any moral standards. I don't have a moral compass. You see my heart and that is what I bring to the table for you, God. God, would you do something with this? I need saving from my sin. That's what I bring. And pull up uh, verses four to seven again. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Isn't the amazing thing that you and I see transformed lives? Isn't that just incredible? When we hear of stories of people who've accepted Christ and they still, they still remember what it was like before Christ. They'll sit here in a baptismal and they'll talk about how God changed their life and you'll sit there and you'll say, what? I knew them in high school. I knew what he or she used to do. And they'll have to sit there and say, oh, that's what happened. Oh, it was but God. Oh, they were doing this, but it was but God. That trophies, stories of God's grace that there is nothing in and of myself I get to pound my chest, I get to take credit for because it is his grace in kindness toward us. And as I shared last week, um, the man who had leukemia and they had given him two to four weeks to live, he had accepted Christ, it was the previous Monday, and they had contacted me about being baptized. A lot of you were asking, hey, when's he going to get baptized? When's he going to get baptized? Um, I had talked with his or her, Michelle's AA sponsor. She had contacted me. Hey, we need to speed this up. He, it's not looking good. We talked on uh, the following Monday and said, hey, or Thursday, sorry, Christmas Eve. Hey, I said, hey, let's try and do it Tuesday or Wednesday night. I'll just call a few people. I'll get the college group. We'll just kind of come in. Let's, let's go see John's, John Abraham's bap, baptism story and witness this. Get a call on Thursday night this week. So he had accepted Christ a week and a half. Get a call and she said, hey, it is, it is not looking good. Um, would you just call and pray with him? I called. I had read John 14. I read Psalm 23. I prayed with him over the phone. He was unresponsive and he died two hours later. The praise God part is that you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. That there is nothing you can do in and of yourself. That he is just like the man who was the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. That whether your story is one week old, one day old, 30 years old, that you would remember, that you would not forget And through this letter in Ephesians, there's more writing on this letter than any church in the New Testament. We see its birth in Acts 19. We see its life in the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing 1 and 2 Timothy to this church, church's pastor. And then in Revelation 2, Jesus speaks to this church. And when he does, he compliments them. They're smart. They endure. Man, they, they got stuff down. They correct bad doctrine. They're doing well but there was one thing against them. He says, you have forgotten or you have abandoned or you have lost your first love. You 
don't feel the same way or you don't love Christ the way that you used to. You like doing things for God, but not, not necessarily just loving God. That he says, remember, he says, repent, and he says, do. That you and I, whether you have heard this, this passage, this story a thousand times, we would look at it and say, that's my story. And for some of you, you would say, oh, that's what happened to her. Oh, that's what happened to him. And when it comes to my life, verse 8 and 9, Jesus makes saving simple and possible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, if you've been to church for more than three times, you got this one down, backwards. I mean, if I called on anyone, you'd be like, by grace, you've been saved. Uh, so just, let's just read it a little bit slow, which is hard for me. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. What is the gift of God? Is it the faith or enabling or what is he doing or what is, what is the gift that God is giving here? The gift that God is giving is grace and through faith, that it is by grace. That grace, you and I so struggle to comprehend grace. We don't even like someone paying for a meal. You guys are like, meal? Call? Yeah, someone will offer to pay for you. You're like, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I work. We don't like anything given to us without expectations. When someone gives you a present that you didn't get them one, oh no. I mean, I'm nervous about that, right? I mean, you're just prepared because you don't want to receive any grace, something that you didn't earn. And here's the sweet thing about this passage. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is the only possible means that God would make it. That you can't work it up, you can't muster it up, you can't be better, do better, you can't be a better person when it comes to God's standards. You have to be created new. That your heart needs to be transformed. It's the only category we have that we would be new creations in Christ. Because if it were by works, if it were by works, my scales will always tip to not being good enough. Even if my mind, my scales are here, and I think, man, I'm a pretty good person, the closer I get to God, I realize that my scales are like this. And also about this passage, when he reflects, he is talking about you were saved by grace through faith, you are being saved by grace through faith, and you will be saved by grace through faith, which means this. When you look back on your testimony and your story, hopefully you will say, man, it was by grace through faith. When you sit through tough seasons today, and this year, in this past year, you would say, God, it is by grace through faith that I will get through this. And you look towards 2021 or 2022 and you will say, it is by grace through faith that I will get through this. Because when Jesus shows up in the Gospels, he is constantly, constantly bringing up the faith issue. He's saying, I can't do a lot of stuff here because of your lack of belief. You can't cast out demons because of your lack of belief. You can't, I can't do mighty works here because of your lack of belief. And it says in Luke 10, 20, when he's talking to the disciples, he's sending them out. He says, don't rejoice that the demons, that you have authority over the demons. So don't, don't get all pumped up. Don't pound your chest because you're pretty gifted. You're pretty smart. You make a lot of money. You do a lot of things for God. Don't get all worked up over that. It says this, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
that that is what excites me and compels me. It is Romans 4, 5 that says this, the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly. Man, his faith is counted as righteousness. A lot of churchy words up in there. Justified righteousness. What is justified in its simplest form? Justified means this, just as if I never did it. That when you and I are ungodly and we come to Christ, he welcomes you, he invites you, he calls you, he pulls you in, and he says, I'm going to treat you like you've never done these things. That you don't have to stop doing the things before you come to God. You don't have to memorize X amount of verses. You ain't got to have these things down or stop doing this or start doing this. No, no, no. God pulls us in and he invites us. So why would we, why would we come to God? Or a lot of us will wait. You've been waiting until you stop doing a certain amount of things, don't you? You wait until you stop looking at certain things. You'll wait until you stop talking a certain way. You feel like God is just constantly frustrated with your lack of godliness when truly you understanding your lack of godliness is a prerequisite for you coming. It is, and it's not just a one-time thing. It is constantly and it is over and over by grace, through faith, we are saved. It is not of our own doing. It is the gift of God. Our faith in Jesus and when we come to him, it saves us and it sustains us. So when I come to him by grace through faith, I would like to check mark it. I would like to graduate from it. I did it when I was 18. Uh, it was nine, 10 years ago. I'm not really worried about it now. I, I've, I've worked myself past the elementary things of faith. But truly when it saves you and sustains you, you come back to God just the same way you always did. Just the same way you always have. God, I don't, I, I don't have much to offer here. I just give you my life. I give you my heart. And the prerequisite of realizing that I need him is when God can do the most work in your life and in my life. And lastly, in verse 10, when it comes to my life, when it comes to my life, God had a plan for my life before I had it. It says this, for we are his workmanship. I don't know anything about the Greek. I mean, just like a slim Google research in, like I'll figure a few things out. In the original language this was written, Masterpiece or workmanship means masterpiece or poem. I've never written a poem in my life. I have no idea what goes into writing a poem. I've heard from people it takes time. Um, it takes care. It takes intentionality. It takes purpose that we are God's poems or masterpiece, something that he cares tremendously about. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God has things he wants you to do. He has um, acts of service he would like you to participate in. He has things that he would like you to accomplish in life for him and for his glory. Now, you and I often will sideline ourselves for a few reasons. Uh, number one, the reason you would not want to serve God or don't feel like you're qualified to serve God is because you just don't know enough Bible, right? Big number, little number. Uh, you were gonna show your faith at one time, but if the guy asks you like for a, a reference, you'd be like, uh, Google, let's Google that right now, right? You were gonna, you, you don't know enough. You just feel like knowledge doesn't bring you to the level that God really starts to use people when they know verses, and then secondly, 
you would know the things that you probably shouldn't be doing. And you would feel like you don't want to be a hypocrite, you don't want to be a phony, that you don't want to serve God because you need to, you need to stop doing these 10 things before God can really use you. And, you. and then lastly, you would just feel inadequate. You would just feel like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm not smart enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not this enough, I can't say this, I'm not good with words. And, and trust me, if, if anyone doesn't feel those, I mean, let's just put an S on your chest and you're Superman, just come busting through here and you just, you're great. But it says in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says this, our sufficiency is not in and of ourselves, but rather in Christ. That I am sufficient when I come through Christ. That, yeah, it doesn't mean you don't read your Bible, right? You just say you would still pursue reading your Bible, that you would pursue to stop doing certain things or get accountability so you can serve God, that you would go to Christ for um, him seeing you and seeing what you can do. Because when it says you should walk in them, if I am unable or unavailable to God, often I believe he will find someone who will. Just like in Matthew 5, uh, 14 to 16, that I should let my light shine, that I should do good works for him. But he looks at us and he has a plan for my life even before I have it. I try not to use a ton of uh, illustrations about my daughter, but it just fits so well right now. My daughter uh, is 11 months and she is starting to walk. And I mean, when she walks, look out. I am like crazy parent, phone, I'm like, oh, get in here. You know, I'm telling neighbors, like I'm setting her up in church. I'm like, you see that? Like I act like she is the first baby that has ever walked. I told someone yesterday, I said, do you want to know uh, when babies normally walk? Yeah, she's advanced. I said, she, I mean, she's just killing it. I think she's going to be a track star. You know, you saying, boy, I'm like, she's, she's killing it right now. Hurdles, whatever. No, what, what is it? It's that she's mine. I'm not, I mean, and when she, when she falls, I don't lose my mind. She'll take three steps. She falls. What if I was like, Dumas, don't fall. Get up. <laughs> Again, you would think I'm crazy. No, what, what does it say in Proverbs 24? A righteous man falls seven times, but what? Rises again. That as a dad, I sit there and I just say, hey, I don't really care what she does. I mean, as long as she follows the Lord, I'm just excited about it. I don't care what it looks like. I just want her to do something. And I just want to watch. I am amped about it. I am stoked. I'm telling people pictures, videos, and how much more does God sit there and he's like, yeah, you got it. No, get, get back up. Get back up. No, I want, no I'm, using, I'm using you. I want to use you. I have something for you. I know about that. I know about that. No, no, no. Just get back up. Come on. Come on. One step at a time. As you fall, as you work forward, God just calls you in closer and closer to serve him because he has works you should do. And when it comes to your life, when it comes to your life, God is doing more than you are aware of to get your attention. All four points were about mine. And hopefully you sat there saying, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. That you would sit there and say, that's, that's my life too. But if, if not, God is doing, when it comes to yours, he's doing more than you're aware of. He has creation, the Bible would say, that is screaming at us. He has God's word that is a testimony to us. He has changed lives. The people you see that you would say, oh my word, no, not her, not him. Them too, that that would serve as a testimony to you. And one of the things it says in Luke 1, uh, 46, when it talks about uh, the people, when Mary is singing praises to God, it's talking about how emptiness shall serve them. 
that sometimes, sometimes God will allow emptiness in your life, emptiness to draw you closer to him. That often when you feel like God is most silent, he is screaming for you to come to him. Because why else would you? If, if there wasn't emptiness in your life, why else would you come? When, when things are really good, you just don't need him. When things are really great, when I don't realize I'm the problem, I don't need him. And emptiness or anxiety or these feelings that you and I face serve as an invitation to you and I. That we would see what God is doing for you and for me. Pull up my last slide. It's Acts 17, 27 to 26, or 26 and 27. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and their boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. You and I are just fed this lie that God is so far. You feel it. Maybe you haven't felt him in years, or you just, based on your feelings, you, you don't know when to come, you don't know how to come, you feel like he's far, you gotta do a thousand things to come to him. The Bible would say, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That what we just celebrated would serve us as God coming near, that he is as near as he has ever been with his hands out, as Romans would tell us. Waiting for you to come, anticipating you to come. And when you come, for a lot of us, when I talk about we're his workmanship, you feel like when we talk about good works or things before us, instantly your mind went, how big? So you want me to have a YouTube channel? How many subscribers? You want to know your influence? You want to know your impact? You want to know how big is what God calling me to? What does this look like for me? Well, for some of us, when we think that when we come to God, and I say God has a plan for your life, it feels so cliche, it feels so irrelevant to you. When Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 10, he says that he is coming as a servant, right? The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In Matthew, or Mark 10, 46, 45, the very next time, this is what the disciples say. Hey, when we get to heaven, who's on your left and right? Jesus did you not just hear what I said? I mean, I, I mean, we do the same thing. Well, I, I know you're here to serve, but like, I, uh, what about me? And he says that it should not be so among you that you would be a servant. And as Jesus approaches the disciples and they're seeking to do these great and magnificent and huge things for God, he's trying to let them know, hey, the things that you're gonna do for me might be small, unseen, and feel insignificant, but they are massive in my eyes. Every Christmas Eve, I watch this movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Some of you watch this along with me and you cry the whole way through. And when we watch It's a Wonderful Life, if you pull up the picture for me, you got George Bailey there in the squad. And I watch it Christmas Eve, past five, six years, and I mean, I'm sitting there <laughs> and I'm just crying. I'm loving every bit of it. And what happens? George Bailey uh, wants to leave uh, his home and do these great and magnificent and huge things for God. Just huge. For, not for God, maybe himself, just wants to travel the world and do all these things, and he keeps getting stuck. Poor guy, I'm like crying for him. Like he can't leave, things happen to him, and then he gets a gift that only you and I could ever dream for. He gets the, the opportunity to see life as if he was never created, never made, that he was never born. And as he sees it, 
he sees all the small and insignificant things he was doing were huge. Like loving his wife well. Like loving his kids well. Like being faithful in his job. Like just doing the small and insignificant things for God actually turned out to be massive. Just so big. And as we approach 2021, as we're in it, whatever God has for you, whatever he has for me, would we just show up and just kind of have open hands? God, by grace, through faith. That it is but God, that I need your help. God, would you help me, no matter how large or small this feels or seems, would you help me to serve you? Would you help me to be faithful to you? And if you're sitting there and you have never made a decision for Christ, what, what, what better way to start a year? What better way for you to say, you know what? I never admitted I was a sinner. I see how simple it is. I see what Jesus did. I've never done that. What better day than today? What else would God have to do? What else would he have to do to get your attention and call you closer to himself? Let me pray. God, we are so thankful for the gospel. God, would we never advance on from it? Would we never think that we don't need it? And God, as Peter says in Jude, that we would have mercy on those who doubt and help save those from fire. God, would you give us a heart and a burden, even for our own stories and testimonies, that you have changed our life. Would it never become old, mundane, boring, and white noise? Would it be our anchor and our motor, God? Would you help us to find our identity in you? And God, would you help us to serve you? Whatever work you have before us, would you help us to do so with whole hearts, willing and faithful and obedient? And God, if anyone's in here and they have yet to make a decision for you, God, I pray that they would call out to you, that they would admit uh, their need for Christ. Would they see all the things you're doing in their life, God? And would they submit and follow you and put their faith in the work of Jesus Christ? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.